Hey, photographers, welcome to the Boca Podcast. I'm your host, Nathan Holritz, and really I'm just here to help you build a sustainable photography business. That certainly means helping you improve your photographic skills and enabling you to become a stronger business owner, but it also means helping you work more efficiently so you don't get burnt out in the long run. We are sponsored by PhotographersEdit.com, custom photo editing for the professional photographer, and Milu.com, that's M-I-I-L-U.com, the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing. All right, let's get into today's episode. All right, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, we're back for another book of podcast episode, and uh, I'm joined today by yet another brand new guest. Martha Swan Quinn is here with me. Martha, thank you for making time for all of us. Thank you so much, Nathan. I'm so happy to have the chance to chat with you. Well, and you've got this very sweet uh, persona that I can hear in the tone of your voice. I, of course, we're recording this remotely and, and I don't see your face. I do audio recordings for these podcasts to help with band, potential bandwidth issues. Uh, otherwise, we'd be on video too. But you carry this wonderful tone, the sweetness in the tone of your voice, which I can imagine translates to the way that you engage with your clients as well. Does that just kind of come naturally for you? Oh, I, thank you. That's so nice. Um, I, I think, well, the tone comes naturally. Uh, and I think, you know, what I've seen written in thank you notes I've gotten from clients over the years seems to reflect that they probably pick up the same thing that you are right now. But yeah, I'm generally a pretty easygoing, happy person. <laughs> That's very nice. Well, and actually speaking of client experience, let's let's just kind of jump right in. I want to talk about your photography brand and more specifically, your brand position. This is something that we discuss a lot here on the podcast. What sets your brand apart? And, and for those of you listening in, if you're new to the podcast or at least new to this concept of a brand position, very simply, we're talking about the value proposition a business offers to the market. And hopefully that, that value proposition is unique. Martha, I'm curious what your brand position is in your photography business. Uh, so this is actually something I've been thinking a lot about lately. I recently relocated my business after being in the same location for 10 years. And um, I had never really had to do that heavy lifting of kind of explaining what I do or yeah. how I do it to new clients sure. because it was all word of mouth and referrals and vendor you know, recommendations and things like that. Um, but now I'm in a new market, in a new state, and really had to kind of think about, you know, when I'm talking to new people who don't know me at all, how I wanted to present that. And what I ultimately landed on was capturing the beautiful chaos of love and life and making memories last for generations to come. And you mentioned moving to a new market. What market are you based in currently? So I am in a city just north of Pittsburgh, Okay. Pennsylvania. So uh, a little bit northwest corner of Pennsylvania. And we just moved here actually in the middle of the pandemic this past June. So wow. Yeah. So it's been quite, quite the trip. And where did you move from? Uh, I grew up in central New York and I'd actually lived there uh, and gone to school uh, for the last, you know, 30 plus years. So, and that's okay. where I began my business and had been photographing mostly in the Finger Lakes, central New York, Adirondack area. Okay. So you, you are used to the cold because before we started recording, you, you'd mentioned that you had snow up there already. And, you know, we're middle of November when we're actually recording this. It, it's kind of, uh, I mean, snow is kind of a funny conversation here in the Chattanooga, Tennessee area, but you're coming from New York. You're relatively used to that kind of a temperature. 
Oh, absolutely. I remember as a kid having drifts of snow that covered the stop signs on my street. So I'm very used to it. Yeah. Well, I mentioned to you, even the chance of snow, literally the chance of snow will will shut down school here in in Chattanooga. It's it's quite hilarious. But making the move to a a new market can be tough, um, especially when it comes to that idea of standing out. And was there something that you did to research the marketplace there to determine then what your position would be? Oh, absolutely. I, um, you know, because it's a little hard to meet in person, I feel like normally if I were, you know, new to an area, I would try to join like photographer meetups uh, in my new city or, you know, take another photographer out for coffee or get a drink um, and just maybe pick their brain a little bit and try to get the, you know, feel for the new spot. Um, But that hasn't really been as much of an option lately. So I've been, you know, using a lot of you know, Instagram and web research to kind of look at other uh, photographers and how they position themselves here locally and looking at their taglines and kind of getting a feel for what the market is and being a little bit closer to a bigger city now, you know, there does tend to be a little bit more of, you know, that kind of like glamour wedding presence that I've uh, noticed in the Pittsburgh area in particular, but there also do seem to be quite a few photographers that I feel like I would connect with really nicely uh, if we were able to meet in person. So. I've also been doing, you know, some email to like reach out and look at, you know, getting to know them that way too. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, and obviously I'm, I'm highly aware of the fact that we're in the middle of a pandemic dealing with the fallout from a pandemic pandemic, especially as business owners, but hadn't really thought about the fact that this kind of process of networking and connecting with your local marketplace, especially for somebody new to the market has been affected significantly as well. Um, but to your point, and, and I want to encourage everybody listening in, whether you're new to a market or you're getting ready to go into a market, you just, you know, maybe you've been there even for a while, but if you haven't taken the time to actually look at your marketplace, i.e. doing a Google search, spending time looking through Instagram and or Facebook and actually becoming aware of what other photographers are doing in your area, what their brand position is, what they represent, looking at the copy on their site and the type of imagery, uh, the style of photography, et cetera. If, if you've not done that, you need to make the time to do that because there are a lot of photographers in our industry and that's not going to go away. What we need to do now is figure out creative ways to stand out. One of those ways that we can stand out is to have a clear and consistent and distinct brand position. And um, in order to do that, of course, we have to do the research. So I'm, I'm, I love to hear that you did that, Martha, and I want to encourage all of our listeners to do the same thing, whether they're you know going into a new market or they were established already uh, make sure to take the time to do that research. But I, you, you were talking as well about this client experience. And I mean, your persona comes across just wonderfully. I'm curious what the big idea is behind how you create a really great client experience there in your market. Absolutely. Um, so I think I, 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 I love this question. And I was thinking through, you know, what it is over the last 10 years that has kind of tied that all together for me. And I think ultimately for me and the way I run my business, it's looking at the couples and the families and the clients that I'm serving and really treating them as people first and looking beyond the contract and the retainer fee and seeing that, you know, they have their real lives with their real feelings and the real emotions kind of tied up in these events. Um, And so it's really easy to feel like we're, you know, savvy business owners and we're amazing photographers when everything is going right in business and in life. 
Um, but, you know, over the course of really any career that lasts a certain length of time, there's these events within or beyond our control that may create these situations where we need to respond to a less than ideal situation and help our clients within those parameters. And, you know, like COVID's a really great example of this where like no one planned for it and it's nobody's fault. And we have the opportunity to provide a wonderful client experience, even in what might be the worst time for our business. When you talk about treating clients as human, that's an interesting way to put that. What do you mean by that? And, and what can our listeners take away from that thought process? So I think what I mean by like seeing, you know, the people behind these business interactions, you know, there's a lot of different ways that we could kind of respond in these situations. We could have our studio policy and, you know, kind of be somewhat inflexible about that. Like, you know, this is your retainer. This is what you paid. This is our studio policy. We might not have foreseen a pandemic, but this is how, you know, based on your contract, we have to respond. Or, you know, you can kind of work with them and try to find a solution that ultimately gives them a wonderful client experience, even if it's not exactly what they were, you know, coming to you for to begin with. Where do you feel like the line is between accommodating um, and also making sure you're not taken advantage of, or not even taken advantage of, because that sounds kind of dramatic, but you know, we, it's, it's easy to, I mean, again, especially just considering your persona, I know my tendency as well, it's easy to be super nice and to continue that, that habit. And it's a wonderful thing, but then we also have to make sure that we are managing our time well and managing our finances as well as business owners. Where's the line? How do you, how do you find a balance, I guess, between quote, being nice and also making sure that you're running a business effectively? Absolutely. So I think for that to happen as a business owner, you really have to have a really solid understanding of what your bottom line is, Mm. because ultimately, you know, as a professional photographer, you can't take an entire year's worth of bookings and then just shift them to the next year because then it's impossible to book your following year. And it leaves you without an entire revenue stream for that current year. And so if you're looking at, you know, where that balance lies, um, you know, if you know what it costs you to run your business, if you know what you need to do to survive as a photographer, then you're able to work flexibly kind of within those parameters. Um, you know, and it's necessary to like really make sure that you're paying attention to those figures, not just to be a hard nosed business person, because, but otherwise, you know, if you're not paying attention to those numbers, ultimately your couple isn't going to be able to be served by you in the best way possible. They're going to have, you know, a barista coming to their wedding to photograph it with a camera instead of somebody who's running a full-time photography business. Yeah, that's huge. And and I've said this before in the podcast, but I learned the hard way as well, the significance of numbers and awareness of numbers and being proactive in that regard. If, if we're not aware of that information and, and consistently so, um, it can really hurt the scalability, the longevity of our business. And ultimately, our, I mean, you know, the way that that would then affect our personal life is, is stressful to consider. Again, I've, I've been on, I've been in that situation before, certainly wouldn't wish on, on, on anyone, but uh, I, this is such a great reminder. And again, I would encourage all of our listeners, if you're not proactively looking at the numbers, the data behind your business, certainly the finances, data, even to the extent of, you know, analytics for your website or analytics on your social media platforms. But if you're not aware of the data, you're missing out on an opportunity to build a stronger, more successful business. Um, Definitely need to do that. And especially when it comes to the finances, it's as simple as, you know, opening a QuickBooks online account, for example, and, and working with your accountant to set that up. 
and and then intentionally and proactively and consistently managing that. And fortunately, it only takes a few minutes here and there. Um, as you know, sole proprietors, there's not a lot going on or not so much that it would take up a bunch of time. So it doesn't have to be stressful or overly frustrating, but it needs to be done. And at the end of the day, we all benefit from being proactive in that regard. Uh, so that's a really, really great reminder, Martha. I, I appreciate that. Um, and speaking of time, actually, talk to me about how you're managing to run a business and then also have a family and try to have a life. Like, is, is there a particular idea or concept that's enabled you to do that more effectively? Um, so I was thinking about this and, you know, I'm a new mom in a new town. And uh, these days, the idea of like balance and free time aren't really necessarily a thing for me currently. But I've found really that even on days where there's not a lot of time to build in that flexibility. Um, it's a little bit less about the quantity of time that I have. And it's more about the quality of time, hmm. uh, if that makes sense. Sure. And, you know, like if I only have, you know, 20 or 30 minutes in the middle of the day or at the end of the day to kind of reflect or, you know, regroup or tackle some tasks, you know, I find that there's a big difference between how I feel at the end of that time if I've used it to you know, scroll on Instagram versus, you know, knitting or, you know, doing a yoga practice or something like that. So really being able to take that time and be proactive about the way I'm using it and intentional, I think has been um, a bit of a game changer. And when it comes to time management, something that we talk about here quite a bit on the podcast is the significance of delegation. Um, we've used the word outsourcing quite a bit over the years, and it's had negative connotations at times. But you know, the idea that we're talking about here, whether it's editing or it's album design or it's accounting or it's ad various admin work, we're talking about delegation, giving a task or a series of tasks to someone else and maybe another company to handle for you. Is this something that you've experimented with as well? Oh, absolutely. You know, I outsource all of my accounting work, I always feel a lot better when I know that I have a professional taking care of that for me. And it's not something I'm trying to figure out, you know, through the back end of QuickBooks. And, you know, something I've also haven't really heard a whole lot of other photographers talk about outsourcing, but I imagine they do is, you know, all the legal work that I have done for sure. the business is all outsourced. Yeah. Um, so any sort of contract negotiations or edits or addendums that need to be added, I always make sure uh, that, you know, those are done by somebody with a law degree. Uh, so I'm not just pulling something off of the internet. And, you know, in recent years too, I've started outsourcing some of my editing as well. Cool. That That's, you know, that's interesting. We've talked a little bit about the legal side of things here on the podcast. Not a lot though. And it is a great reminder because you're right. There's a lot of free information and, and quite a few resources available when it comes to the legal side of running a photography business online. You can do a quick Google search and you can find stuff, but the question would be, is it specific to your particular business model in your particular marketplace it, within the context of your county or state laws? Um, that really needs to be addressed. And and you're right, actually having a professional to work with in that context is super important. So um, absolutely, a, another really great reminder. I appreciate that. So talk to me then about... Um, one of the most impactful business or self-help books that you've read or listened to recently. This is, we, I've been asking this question now for oh, probably at least a couple of years or so anyway. And it's one of my favorite questions. I'm a bit of a, a book geek though. I, at many times I'm, I'm kind of guilty of 
like continuing, literally continuing to build my library. I just buy this book and I buy that book and then not getting to reading them. Um, I've got probably, I don't know, four or five, five or six books right now in the queue, currently reading one called Principles by Ray Dalio. But I'm curious if there's a particular book that stands out for you. Yeah, absolutely. And I have to say that um, after hearing it mentioned so many times on your podcast, I have StoryBrand on my list now to start reading. So I'm very excited to delve into that. Please Um, let me know what you think, too, because it (laughs) it is truly one of the best business books that I could recommend to anyone, number one. Too, and I think I mentioned this in the podcast before, it, it's not only an easy read, but it's a super practical read. Like, you know, whereas many, if not most business or self-help books you read, like you get maybe 20 or 30% of that book is actually meat, something that you can do with uh, that's actionable and that's practical. And a lot of the other is fluff. It's the other way around with, with Donald Miller's book. I highly, highly recommend it. Yeah, I've heard so many amazing things about it. So I'm really excited to get a jumpstart on it myself. Um, but yeah, the I think the one book that I've read and actually just had the opportunity to reread recently, which I love to do, um, is Art and Fear. And it's less of a business book and it's more of a meditation on art making. So it's It doesn't have as many actionable elements to it, maybe, but it really is a beautiful reflection on what to do when you're faced with challenges and self-doubt. And I don't know, have you ever heard of it before? I think I've heard of it. I've I've not read it. When you talk about challenges of of particularly regarding self-doubt, are you talking about in the context of being an artist or? Yes. Yeah, exactly. And so I think the reason I was really drawn to this book um, was because, you know, as when I was a younger photographer, I used to look at all these people that had been in, you know, business for decades. And I would think, oh, you know, won't it be wonderful when I reach that phase in my business and I'll never feel like my art is falling short or that I've, you know, missed the mark somehow. And I'll feel like everything that I'm making is wonderful. And it's a really beautiful reminder that as creators, you know, part of, that process is, you know, really continuing to create year after year and pushing yourself beyond your comfort zone Mm. and not necessarily moving past these thoughts of self-doubt, but, you know, learning how to coexist with them. And, you know, that ultimately is what leads you to continuing to create and making the best work that you can. Yeah, I'm getting ready to start uh, a photography business again myself. I shot for over 10 years, weddings, uh, engagement sessions, a bit of family portrait work and so forth. Um, but I'm, I'm picking the business back up again for a number of reasons. And one of the things that I'm really going to have to challenge myself with, because I wasn't great at this previously, um, is the artistic side. I, I'm more of, I guess, a, a business mind. If I were to you know, pick a side, business or art, uh, I obviously I think they can mutually or coexist uh, and they, they can be mutually beneficial as well. But I, I just, I guess I didn't really push myself on the artistic side. I would try this technique and try that little thing. And, and yet at the end of the day, I kind of got bored. But I think part of the reason I got bored was because I wasn't actually challenging myself to take my work to the next level. Um, is there a particular way that you do this yourself? So this might be a little, it's a, it's not exactly a structured approach per se, but um, That's fine. <laughs> I, I find that uh, I used to look online a lot for inspiration. Um, and I was talking to this one mentor of mine. She's like, I don't understand why you're looking at other photographs 
for inspiration. You know, you're a photographer, you're perfectly capable of executing, you know, the images that you want to execute. What you need to learn is how to feel the images that you want to make. Mm. And that really struck a chord with me. And from that point on, um, you know, instead of necessarily referencing, I still look at, of course, you know, on Instagram and Pinterest and love looking at other photographers and artists work, but um, I started gravitating one more towards artists, um, but also towards poets and reading a lot more poetry um, before I was photographing and really kind of getting in touch a little bit more with that side of the artistic creation element that, you know, then allows you to kind of take those thoughts and feelings and translate them into imagery. And, uh, you know, that's been hugely helpful for me in kind of moving beyond, you know, that the place where I was before, you know, I heard that information, that advice. Yeah, I I think um, I could equate that to the behavior that you were talking about previously being engaged in to just scrolling Instagram. And that may not yeah. have been specific to you, but I know that it's easy as, as photographers uh, and business owners to jump on Instagram and scroll, whether it's for the sake of business or you know, just wanting to kill time or whatever it might be. But it can be a bit mindless and, and you see a pretty picture here and there. But the question then is, what are we actually doing with that? And and then I like, the, I like where you took this conversation, which is, let's and and defining inspiration from this conversation that you referenced you know let's set aside trying to you know continue to i i i think it's kind of funny actually when photographers use the word quote inspiration um because a lot of times what that is and i've been guilty of it as well is just kind of copying a, a technique that we're seeing from somebody else and so setting that aside and I guess ultimately through our mind's eye, just coming up with, I love the way that they described it, feeling the image mm-hmm. and, and creating that image that we're feeling, I think is, is a really, really lovely concept. Again, something that I'm going to have to be more intentional about in round two of my photography career coming up here. By the way, for everybody listening in, make sure you check out Martha's work too. As we're talking here, I'm on the homepage of Martha's website and there are a few images that that are cycling through they're just absolutely beautiful if you go to martha m-a-r-t-h-a swan s-w-a-n-n.com you can see this very work that i'm talking about and on instagram martha swan quinn q-u-i-n-n and we'll link to both of those in the show notes at bocapodcast.com i'm noticing martha um, a super shallow depth of field in these images that are um, kind of rotating on your homepage. what lens what's what's a go-to lens for you Oh my goodness. Um, I actually love uh, two just very simple lenses. I love my 50 and my 85 millimeter. Uh, I shoot Nikon and really love, you know, the, just the feel that you get working with those. Lovely. Yes. And I shot Nikon for the 10 plus years that I, that I photographed weddings previously as well. I, I really love the platform. I currently have, uh, I, I kind of moved, to, to Canon only out of necessity because I needed a particular feature set for some video work that I do. And so currently I, I'm, I have a Canon. I, I miss the ergos, the layout, the buttons, the menus, <laughs> yeah. et cetera, on the Nikon system because that, you know, I, I got so used to it that I can literally still feel, if I close my eyes, I can feel that camera in my hand yeah. and where the dials are and the buttons are. I mean, it's, it just becomes so intuitive. Yeah, I know. And I've I've had the debate many, many times with all of my Canon friends who I just, you know, when I was, I learned photography when I was very little and my mom shot Nikon. And so that's what I grew up shooting. And it's just, 
I think it's just, you know, a gut thing, you know, sure. and once you get into that comfort zone and that, uh, exactly what you were saying, like, I just thinking about it, like I know exactly where everything is. And, mm-hmm. um, I think, you know, making the switch would be tricky, but for sure. I, I kind of like the challenge of it though, too, because it makes me, it forces me to learn something new and kind of think outside that box that I lived in. Um, it, I, I actually find it a bit enjoyable too. One of the things, and this is a much longer conversation for another day, but one of the things that I'm doing with this new photography business model I'm getting ready to launch is to kind of prove some of the concepts that we've talked about here on the podcast, one of which is really minimalism at the end of the day. And that it doesn't, you know, as much as certainly we develop a set of preferences, mine certainly is Nikon. Um, as photographers, at the end of the day, you don't necessarily have to have a particular piece of equipment in order to create beautiful imagery that clients will love if you just understand some of the basic concepts behind creating that imagery. And I think that's really fun to to prove um, with minimal equipment. I mean, you talk about shooting with the 50 and 85. The 50 definitely is a go-to for me. I'm probably going to be spending much of my time with that that lens on my camera. And I love the simplicity of that. It's just that's very beautiful to me. Oh, yeah. And actually, that's really funny, because that's something I really think a lot about, too. I get sometimes, you know, a client, you know, here and there that will ask, you know, oh, well, what camera are you using? And I'm like, oh, well, you know, I'm using, I think I'm shooting the D4S, you know, from several years ago. And they're like, oh, well, my dentist has, you know, this other really great camera. I'm like, I bet your dentist has a better camera than me. Like, I, I absolutely understand that. But I'm like, I, I feel like, you know, I've always kind of lived by the maximum, you know, it's the photographer that makes the photo, not yep. the camera. So yep. you wouldn't tell a baker that their oven made a great cake. So <laughs> I think, you know, I, I'm, I'm realizing as I, as I have experimented with different or used various equipment, then I started on film actually, when I started shooting back in 2001 or so, uh, and, and shot 35 millimeter medium format, and then ended up going to digital. And I was actually looking through some old work today. And I mean, it's, first of all, it's, quite hilarious at times to see old work and a little bit cringy as well. Uh, but then also I, I was noticing the difference in the the quality of the files. I think part of it was the processing. Part of it was just the files themselves from like an earlier digital camera. I think the first one that I shot with that we actively used in our business was a Nikon D1X. Mm-hmm. And that camera had less than six megapixels. The dynamic range was awful. And, and Tennessee, when you, know, when you shoot three, four, five o'clock in the afternoon on, on a summer day, and you get the sun up high and a little bit of clouds coming in. Uh, now you've got this terrible situation as far as lighting is concerned. And, and that dynamic range was not helpful or the lack of dynamic range, I should say, was not helpful at all. So some of the blown highlights that I saw as I was looking back through old imagery was again, a bit, a bit cringy, but at the same time, I know that we were able to take images from that camera. I remember one in particular that we blew up and put in the studio. It was a 20, uh, actually it may have been closer to 30 by 40. Anyway, relatively large print that had been shot on that camera, um, once processed, exported to JPEG, uploaded to the gallery system that we were using at the time. Um, That system, they were actually compressing the files when you uploaded to their server so we had this you know, relatively small file in comparison to today's files, and then it was further compressed. And then I downloaded that, that particular file from their server and had it printed as this large print on a, on a textured art paper. And it printed absolutely beautifully. 
Um, yeah. So it, 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 a lot of it is just an awareness of, for, as you said, how to actually take the picture to begin with and then ultimately how to process if necessary. And you can still get great, great imagery from even the most basic of equipment. Yes, especially if you print your photos. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> Are you, do you print your own work? Uh, I do. I do. I have um, a Canon printer here at home. Nice. So I do print uh, photos for myself. And, you know, I always try to send client gifts each year and lately have been doing a lot more with printing um, to make sure that, you know, just a gentle nudge, you know, to get the photos off the cloud yeah. and make sure that you're making those prints. So yeah, I, I love I love a good print. Oh, yeah, I'm right there with you. And, and I'm kind of excited actually to start shooting again and being able to actually produce some some prints. I, I, my favorite was that, that art paper, the textured art paper. And I don't know, I don't remember the specific, um, like the technical name for that paper or the company that made it, but it was just lovely. And it was forgiving because it was textured. It was relatively forgiving. Yeah. So an image could be slightly soft. Um, but it, it, it would just produce beautiful, beautiful images. And one of the things that, that I did for some time was to take a, a special portrait of the couple on the wedding day with a panoramic camera. It was a 35 millimeter panoramic camera. And then we'd have those files scanned. I'd pick one, retouch it, and then have them printed on a, I think it was a 10 by, actually maybe an 8 by 20, actually, mm -hmm. uh, format on that textured art paper, have it mounted on foam core in a box, tissue paper, and that would be a gift ultimately to the client. And it was super fun to do that. But to be able to actually hand them a print to begin with, I think is a really great way to start out. Yeah, that's a beautiful thing. Well, I want to switch gears here because, um, you know, we, uh, I, I love these introductory questions that we do with most of our guests. And, and I think for our listeners' sake, to hear a variety of answers to those questions is really great as well. But ultimately, we're getting to the main topic today. And, and um, you produced a project, Martha, and, and ultimately a book of portraits around lost love and motherhood. And, and before we get into this, um, you, you had actually very kindly before we started recording reminded me that maybe this would be a little bit of a tough topic for some listeners. Can you give a little bit of context to that? Yeah, absolutely. So um, this project, which was inspired by a friend of mine, actually deals with sharing stories of pregnancy loss and miscarriage, which is something that's really near and dear to my heart, you know, for personal reasons. And then, uh, you know, I know too, when we were experiencing our own losses, um, how difficult it was to, you know, perhaps you know, hear more stories of losses. Sure. Um, so I did, I did, of course, want to, you know, if there were any listeners that were perhaps, you know, in the midst of experiencing their own loss, give them an opportunity to come back to this at another time if they needed to. But, um, but yeah, I'm actually, I'm really happy to have the chance to share a little bit about this project with you. Well, and, and if you will, we just kind of start with some background, some context, what was the impetus for this project to begin with? Sure. Um, so, as I said, the project was initially inspired by a friend of mine who was originally a bride that I had photographed mm. uh, years ago. And she and her husband, you know, I, I do tend to form, you know, really lovely, close relationships with the couples that I photograph. And we keep in touch, you know, through email and Facebook and Instagram. And we had stayed in touch over the years. And so, you know, of course, I saw when they announced on Instagram that they were expecting their first baby and was so excited for them. And of course, sent them a message congratulating them. But then I also saw, a, you know, a week or so later, when they announced that they had lost the baby. And, um, you know, I was it was Mother's Day weekend. And my husband and I were 
driving to brunch with our mothers and, you know, my heart just broke for them. Wow. And I remember, you know, I reached out and I sent a condolence note and, you know, I was, you know, so sad for them, but um, it wasn't until a few weeks later uh, and I was in the middle of a documentary workshop um, that the shock essentially of seeing somebody I knew and loved so dearly lose something that they were so happy for really struck me. And I knew that I wanted to do something a little more. And that's kind of where this project was, um, where it began. Well, and, and maybe just for further context, I can go ahead and let our listeners know too, if you, if you want to go read, um, a kind of a detailed blog post around this, this project, uh, we'll link to that in the show notes. Uh, and it's on Martha's blog on her website, and there's also information about the book. There's a separate post about the book as well. We'll also link to that in the show notes so you can have some context. You can see some of the imagery associated with this project. What did you want to do, though, once you had that experience? I mean, you talked about experiencing that that shock. Um, was was that what kind of pushed you over the edge and, and made you want to do something about this? I know that you then suffered your own loss not too long after, was it, was it that, that ultimately gave you the additional nudge? Actually. So I had been working on this project for about two years at that point, the interviews and the portrait sessions were actually spread out all over the East coast. Uh, and I remember, uh, really what it was that kind of pushed me over the edge was the fact that I was so shocked by this. And I think part of it was I couldn't understand the more that I was researching, you know, miscarriage and pregnancy loss. I couldn't understand why this wasn't what we were being taught in high school health class because, and I'm not sure if you you remember, you know, what you were taught, but I remembered ours was very similar to kind of like the mean girls excerpt where the high school health teacher is like, you know, don't have, don't have sex. You'll get pregnant and die. And <laughs> it was just like, that's what I remember being told yeah. about sex and pregnancy yep. in health yep. class. Yep. Not that one in four pregnancies and in miscarriage and that one in 100 babies are stillborn. And, you know, a lot of people think it's one in four women will have a miscarriage, but it's one in four pregnancies, which means that it's an incredibly common event. Yeah. That's just stunning statistic. When I read that, I I was really taken aback because I had certainly wasn't aware of that. Yeah. And so I just, I did a little bit of research and I, you know, I thought, well, you know, what I would love to be able to do is to help share stories you know, from these women that are experiencing this traumatic loss for many of them and, you know, help to kind of dispel this, you know, culture of silence essentially that does tend to surround pregnancy loss and miscarriage. And I was incredibly nervous to even put the idea of the project out there um, or, you know, solicit participants and ask people to participate because I, you know, didn't want to remind people of their grief, which anybody who's grieved a loss like this knows it's ridiculous. You never forget that, you know, your loss and when people bring it up, it's not necessarily something that reminds you of it. It's can actually be a comfort to actually know that somebody wants to hear your story yeah, and, you yeah. know, know how you're feeling. Sure. Um, but in the space of literally one day, I received dozens of responses from all over the country from women who 
really were so glad to have a venue to share their story with others in the hopes that, you know, somebody else would feel less alone when they had heard about their experience. Mm. Um, And I was working in New York at the time and I had women emailing and asking when I was going to come to California or to Texas or North Carolina. Um, And it was just overwhelming in the most beautiful way to receive that kind of response. So you're well into this project and then Unfortunately, you experience your own loss as well. Yes. What, what I mean, I know it sounds almost trite to ask what that felt like, um, but what did that feel like? You're, you're in the middle of trying to serve others who are dealing with this loss and, and all the emotion associated with it, and then you face that yourself. Yes. So at the point where I experienced my first miscarriage, I had been at that point working on the project for about two years. And I had spent all of this time with these families and I had photographed them and cried with them and, you know, felt so heartbroken for them. But there was nothing that I could have possibly done leading up to that time that could have possibly prepared me for my own loss. It was actually in the busiest part of wedding season, uh, my husband and I found out that we were pregnant and expecting our first baby. And we were absolutely thrilled and so excited. Um, you know, of course, it was, you know, the craziest point in life where we were both still in grad school, both working full time. And a week later, we found out that we would likely lose that baby. And it took a full month before I, you know, miscarried. And Mm. so the loss really happened in slow motion for us. Wow. Um, And, you know, it was the middle of wedding season. I photographed two weddings while I was actively miscarrying. And I'm a very happy person by nature. Um, And I just remember feeling so alone and Mm. like I would never be happy again. And it was, it was one of the most difficult things I had to go through, but I remember too, like the reason I felt so alone, even after having worked on a project like this for for so long, I think is because we live, we live and work in this industry where we preach authenticity at every turn. And yet I had really never heard another wedding photographer share about a miscarriage or say what they would do, you know, if they had to wake up one day and photograph somebody else's happiest day of their life on the worst day of theirs. And so I was looking online for other stories and, you know, what to do when this happens to you. And all I could find were these blog posts published by photographers saying like, here's how to stay comfortable when you're nine months pregnant and photographing a wedding. It's like, wear comfortable shoes and drink your water. And I was like, what if you're waking up at 5 a.m. to go have your blood drawn and you have to then drive three hours to photograph a wedding, mm. you know, and all you can eat are saltines. <laughs> so right. it was, it was, you know, it was really difficult um, to kind of navigate that. And in, especially because it felt, you know, so lonely at that time. And I do feel like things are changing, which is wonderful. Um, and I feel like in the last year or so, I've, seen that there have been some really beautiful and concerted efforts to share stories of loss. And um, there's so many celebrities that have come forward in recent years and shared about their experiences. I don't know if you saw, you know, most recently, Chrissy Teigen just had a stillborn baby. Really? No, I didn't. And and she shared her story on, I believe it was stillborn, but she shared her story on Instagram. And having that kind of 
you know, celebrities share their story and normalize these conversations around grief is really wonderful. And I've also, you know, just even through the grapevine, um, heard one or two other wedding photographers share, you know, after they announced that they were expecting, you know, if they had a miscarriage, they would also share the news of that. And so I, I do hope that, you know, maybe things are changing a little bit. Um, mm. But, and I'm not advocating that everybody who has a miscarriage should share it or announce it publicly because it's such a personal choice to make. And honestly, if you had looked at my Instagram or Facebook or, you know, emailed with me at that time, you would have never known what I was going through. But I do think that, I think what I hope for is that there's a day where this type of loss and this kind of grief is something that people and, you know, photographers like, you know, that work within our industry wouldn't feel uncomfortable or wouldn't worry about sharing. Well, I, you were, you were so gracious to reach out to us and, and offer to come on the show and talk a little bit about obviously not, not only what you've been through, but then also to make some suggestions, give some advice, maybe leave a few takeaways for our listeners that are either having to go through this now, um, or may potentially face even if it's not the loss of a pregnancy, a, a physical challenge of some kind in the future that is overwhelming physically and psychologically. Uh, and, and so I want to kind of get into to some of these ideas. And, and to begin with, one of the things that you talked about, and it, it, I hate to kind of shift gears so drastically because we're going to the very logistical, uh, kind of practical side of this conversation at the moment. But when it comes to finances, uh, especially for photographers who are pregnant, talk to us about the significance of an emergency fund. What does this mean? How how do we even plan for it? How do we determine how much to set aside? Oh, absolutely. And there's no apology necessary at all, because honestly, this is something I wish I had thought through years ago, because when the time to actually create this kind of action plan and think through these logistics is absolutely before something like this happens. So that way you're not left, you know, trying to navigate your own grief or loss and then try to figure out, oh, well, have I balanced my QuickBooks yet this yeah, month? Right. Um, so yeah, no, I think the idea of an emergency fund, that was, was that your question? Yes. Uh huh. Yeah. So the idea of an emergency fund is something that I think is a wonderful idea for almost any small business person to embrace, you know, I kind of came of age during the recession. And so I think I've always kind of had this money mindset of, you know, I wanted to make sure that I was really prepared, you know, in a worst case scenario situation. And especially as a small business owner, you know, the only way to really protect yourself is to make sure that you are prepared for that. Mm. And that is going to look incredibly different for, you know, a different person in a different situation. So if you're, you know, somebody in a single income household and your family relies solely on your, you know, income from your small business, you know, that's going to look one way versus somebody who's in maybe a two income household or somebody who doesn't rely on the income from their business to pay the bills. And it's more of, you know, more of, you know, of padding, you know, for their finances. So I would say it looks different for everybody. Um, For me personally, I know I always wanted to make sure that if something happened or it broke both of my legs at the beginning of wedding season, um, you know, if I had to return the 
retainer fees that year that I was no longer able to execute those contracts, would I be able to financially do that? And that was always kind of the baseline for my business. And then even knowing to like what kind of the skeleton costs are of running your business, you know, how much does it cost you to keep your internet on, your phone on, your website running, um, you know, all those little things might just be, you know, $50, $100 here and there each month, but it really does add up. And it only takes one year of not working to realize how quickly those accounts can drain. Absolutely. And for, for a photographer listening in who's like, I'm right now, I'm just kind of scraping by as it is the idea of, you know, setting aside a little bit of extra money here and there, it's it's a bit overwhelming. It, it feels like too much. What would you say to them? I mean, it really, that's actually the situation that I feel like most of us could be in right now. Sure. Um, it's definitely a difficult situation to be in at this moment. I would say too, like there's beyond even setting aside money, you know, if you're absolutely unable to do that um, at the moment, you know, really looking for those areas where you can cut costs. And that doesn't mean like, oh, go sell all of your gear because you don't need it anymore. It means, you know, look at, you know, subscriptions maybe that you're not using right now. Like if you're not, you know, doing a hundred different album designs every year, do you really need an expensive album design software that's running on a month by month basis? Um, You know, there's a lot of different ways that you can make sure that you're economizing when you're not able to be saving. So that way, when hopefully things do pick up again, then you are able to, you know, tuck away a little bit, you know, with each job. Sure. Well, let me, let me kind of transition to my next question um, because when for if if a photographer listening in is having to face this type of loss there's there's a question there almost an elephant in the room if you will as to whether or not to say anything or if if so um how much to say to clients to the photo community i mean we have such a tight knit industry and there's a tendency a lot of times just to kind of uh well certainly to be super open with at least our friends in the industry but having been through this yourself what do you recommend so I think, firstly, you know, of course, it's a very, very personal choice for anybody that would either become pregnant or, you know, perhaps even experience a miscarriage. Um, and actually, I think one of the first things to think through is, you know, how do you think that you might feel most comfortable sharing or not sharing a news, the news of a pregnancy with either your clients or friends within the industry. And it's a really loaded topic for many reasons. And ultimately, you know, when I became pregnant then for the third time, because we actually had a second miscarriage after our first, but the third time we became pregnant and as things began to progress um, a little bit farther along, I remember reaching out to several of my friends who are photographers and wedding photographers in particular who had navigated pregnancies throughout wedding season. Mm. And I thought I would receive so much clarity by emailing all of my girlfriends and asking them, how did you tell your clients, you know, that you were pregnant and, you know, your due date was near their wedding or after their wedding or before their wedding. And I received no clarity because every single photographer I talked to had handled it in an incredibly different way. Hmm. Um, I had one friend who didn't tell her clients that she was pregnant 
at all. And the way that they found out that she was pregnant was when she showed up to photograph their wedding and she was pregnant. Oh, wow. And then another friend who um, decided, you know, she had had uncomplicated pregnancies in the past and decided to tell them right away uh, and, you know, emailed them as soon as she found out that she was expecting and told them all the information that they might want to know. And to be clear, I, I don't think that, you know, the first friend did anything wrong by choosing to share or not share her news the way she did. Um, because ultimately, one, it's an incredibly personal choice, but also you are only as protected as your contract allows you to be in our industry. Yeah. And if you work for a corporate employer, you know, ostensibly there are all of these protections that keep you from losing your job or losing out on a promotion or losing out on opportunities within your workplace because of a pregnancy. And there are no such protections for a small business owner. Right. And you will never know if you publicly share news of a pregnancy um, or a due date, if you know you are then may, you know, maybe raising a red flag to couples who might be getting married near your due date and just choose to never contact you because they're worried that it will interfere with their wedding day. And you know, that's a shame and everybody is entitled to make their, you know, choose their wedding vendors, of course, however they are most comfortable. But as a small business person too, you know, there are no guarantees in life and you have to pro provide for your family in many instances. And it's a very, it's a very fine line to walk. Um, and for me, you know, I, I knew ultimately that I would want to be able to share openly you know, online, but, you know, also with friends and family who were far away um, about the pregnancy once we got to a place where we felt comfortable sharing and talking about it, because that definitely took a little bit longer after what we had gone through. And I knew that I didn't want a client to see an Instagram post and find out, oh, I guess my photographer's pregnant. Um, so I decided that I would email all of my clients um, before I shared the news publicly on hmm. Instagram. Okay. And I gave them, you know, the opportunity to ask any questions. And I also did it, you know, essentially as a courtesy to let them know that, you know, one, we were sharing our good news with them, but that also I wanted to let them know that, if I needed to bring an assistant, um, or, you know, if anything came up, um, that they would be taken care of and that they, you know, there wouldn't be any additional expense to them, you know, no matter what their wedding day would be photographed beautifully. And I would make sure that, um, you know, they were well taken care of. So I guess really very simply, just be proactive in your communication with clients and, and make sure simultaneously that you're covered on the legal side as well. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, it's a, you know, not a bad idea to, you know, take your contract, meet, you know, if you do have a lawyer that has helped you to put it together, meet with your lawyer and, you know, double check that, you know, you've dotted all your I's, crossed all your T's. Um, because ultimately, I think in many, many cases, the types of contracts that we use as wedding photographers and wedding vendors in general there's nothing to keep our clients from, you know, choosing to even walk away from a retainer fee and we then lose out on, you know, all of that additional income. So really you're only as protected as your contract allows you to be. And it's really important to really know where that line is drawn. 
You alluded to this a little bit earlier, but you were talking about the notion of becoming pregnant during busy season for a photographer. If this happens to them, um, is there a particular action plan that you would recommend? Is there kind of a, a series of first three, four, five steps that they should take to to make sure that everything is in order? Oh, um, so I I thought a lot about this. I um, hadn't, I didn't, I certainly didn't think about it necessarily in the moment when it was happening to me. Um, but after reflecting, I guess these are some of the things that I would recommend, you know, and certainly things that I would think about, you know, if I were ever to become pregnant again myself. Um, the first thing is definitely to talk to your doctor. You know, a lot of women who are pregnant might need to consider the fact that their job that they're doing, especially as photographers, are, is a really physical job. Um, and depending on, you know, what your doctor recommends, there might be certain restrictions um, to how much weight they're comfortable with you carrying, um, how many hours a day you should be on your feet. And, you know, I'm not a medical expert, of course, and nothing that you can read online um, can ever really replace personalized professional medical advice. So, I would, you know, that's the first thing that I would definitely recommend is talk to your doctor, take okay. their advice to heart, um, because it will be different for every woman in every pregnancy. Sure. And then, you know, of course, if you ever think that you might be having a miscarriage, uh, you should call them right away because not every miscarriage is the same. And there are certain types of miscarriages that might require medical intervention to save the life of the mother. So that's my number one advice is to always talk to your doctor. And then, you know, we've already touched on this, but kind of, you know, thinking about when and how and if you're going to share the news with your clients, um, you know, just, you know, especially if you're thinking about announcing your pregnancy online, just think about, you know, not that this should influence how you choose to handle this, but, you know, think through what you would um, want your bride to have, what kind of experience you would want your bride or groom to have, sure. you know, if they saw that announcement. Yeah. Um, and then outsourcing. Um if you are in the position to consider outsourcing and asking for help whenever you need it, I think that is something that was so helpful for me as I kind of navigated both miscarriages and our pregnancy. It will really look different for everybody, but I think, you know, this could mean like bringing an assistant with you on days where you might feel really sick or if you're not able to carry gear um, or be on your feet for a really long time, you know, having somebody else that can, you know, step in for you so that you can sit down for five minutes. It might be, you know, hiring a virtual assistant uh, to help you with office communication or editing um, or even outsourcing all of your editing if you're able to take that step. Um, you know, I I used your company um, for months and it was incredibly helpful for me to be able to take a step away from the computer during those days. I'm um, so glad. And really, yeah, it was, it was such, you know, it, it really helped me through to be able to know that, you know, I have taken this step to, you know, ensure that my client experience is still intact um, and that everybody's still able to receive, you know, beautifully edited photos and at the same time protect myself essentially emotionally and be able to take a little bit of time for myself as we were grieving. And, you know, also, you know, even during a successful pregnancy, you know, you often are so nauseous that like the act of scrolling or like thumbing through images um, on like photo mechanic is, is not, <laughs> it's not a fun experience. So being able to step back from that was wonderful. So outsourcing was fantastic. And I would definitely consider hiring a virtual assistant, um, 
next time to just to be able to step back from the computer. And then, you know, another tip could also be to kind of check in with your CPA and check on the business financials for the business. Um, You know, you've already checked in with your lawyer at this point, you know, about your contracts. So checking with your CPA and really looking at the business finances to see if you have enough to be able to take time off for maternity leave or paternity leave. You know, if if you're a father who is expecting a new baby, you know, can you afford to take a lighter season while you're pregnant or after the baby arrives? Um, Or, you know, do you need to work a little more to ensure that your medical bills and insurance are covered? You know, making sure that there are somehow, you know, fewer surprises down the road, you know, is really helpful because I know, you know, the financial burden of pregnancy too, as self-employed people is really staggering when you think about it. Um, You know, our country is notorious for being terrible about offering, you know, maternity leave, um, even through the corporate environment. And we're not really encouraged to take that much time culturally. So, you know, depending on how much time you feel that you might want or need after a pregnancy or after a new baby is born, you need to, you know, make sure that you can pay your salary, keep the business running. Um, And then, you know, we always hope that, you know, a pregnancy will go perfectly to plan. But then, you know, if medical intervention is required, and you're left with, we, we have just thousands of dollars of medical bills after the miscarriages and the third pregnancy was also quite complicated. Mm. Um, and so as a small business person, you don't always have a, you know, fancy medical plan to be able to support yourself through that. So being sure that you, um, have a good idea of at least what, what your options are, um, and being able to prepare for that financially is also a really, you know, very kind of boring logistical step, but, you know, very necessary and can give you a lot of peace of mind down the road. Okay. So I was taking notes as you were talking, you mentioned first talking to your doctor, get medical advice, obviously. And then, and then two, talk to your lawyer. Uh, and we, we also talked about that a little bit. Three, plan how you share the pregnancy, um, certainly with clients and, and then others as well. Four, outsourcing and delegating or, or research the possibility of, or maybe further outsource or delegate even more of your work, if, if at all possible, admin, editing, et cetera. And then five, check in on the finances conversation with CPA, making sure that you've got finances in place for the kind of the long run, if you will, or I guess maybe in this case, more the short term, just making sure that there is a cushion there uh, that might enable you to be able to take at least a little bit of leave to have the rest and to to have that connection with the new one. Um, super, super important. I do have a question. And by the way, we're going to come back and, and get into the, the, the delegation process just a little bit more detail, because I'm curious to get your take on this, Martha. But uh, before I do that, talk to me a little bit about the um, the necessity for connecting with photographers in your marketplace to act as second shooters or even backup photographers to fill in if for some reason you're not able to actually photograph the event or the portrait session or otherwise. Oh, absolutely. So um, this is actually one of the things that I would probably do a little bit differently if I were to become pregnant again, or if I had another miscarriage. Our third pregnancy was complicated in that I was heavily restricted from carrying any sort of like heavy gear. Mm. Um, I think at one point, my doctor said I could lift no more than 10 pounds at a time, which if you've ever shot with a, you know, 70 to 200 lens, you know, that just goes right out the window. (laughs) Um, So, uh, 
so I, I had an assistant. I usually shoot. I'm, you know, I, I hate to like say introverted because I think we're all mixed, you know, either introverted and um, extroverted. But as, as an artist and as a creator, I love to, you know, kind of photograph alone and get in my head and just be able to, um, you know, shoot instinctually. Um, so I usually shoot um, most of the weddings and portrait sessions um, alone. But that year, because I needed additional help carrying gear, lifting gear, um, you know, if I needed to take a step back, I needed to have somebody step in for me. So I worked with a variety of different assistants. And that was partly because uh, there wasn't one dedicated photographer um, that I was able to find at such short notice, who was able to fill in a the season for me to be able to be the, you know, dedicated assistant with me on each shoot. So I worked with probably six or seven different photographers that year in total. And that I would like to say is, you know, largely in part to do with the fact that I had been living and working in that industry for more than 10 years um, in, in that you know, geographic location. And I had, I had a wonderful network of friends um, and other photographers that had developed over those years. And I had already developed these very close personal relationships with them. And I think that's why, you know, ultimately, even though it wasn't just one person with me the whole time, um, it really did work, you know, almost seamlessly throughout the season. But, you know, I had established those relationships long in advance of actually needing them. And so I think that, you know, that's something to really kind of consider is that really, you know, comes back to that, you know, no man is an island, you know, thought where even if you do work alone or you prefer to photograph alone, having these connections within your industry, you know, not only for friendships to lean on and, you know, people to talk to when times are good and have that sense of community when times are good, but also, you know, you never really know what life might throw at you and you need to have an action plan in place for, you know, what happens if you are in a car accident the day before a wedding, what happens if you, you know, do have a medical emergency like this where you're physically incapable, you know, I shot, I shot so many weddings where I, you know, I had a cold or I was a little sick or, you know, I, I needed, I wasn't able as physically to, you know, be as peppy, but, you know, I was never ever in a situation like this before where a doctor flat out told me you are not allowed to, otherwise you might need to go to the emergency room. Um, So really making sure that you have uh, a network and a group of friends and trusted professionals that you can rely on if you ever find yourself in a situation is invaluable. So I'm, I'm curious, actually, how when we talk about the significance of this network and photographers, I mean, I know having worked here in the Chattanooga market for a number of years, that the community was ultimately just really incredible. It's one of my favorite things about, about my job. Um, but ultimately, of course, we don't always know who is, quote, on the other side of the camera. How did you go about vetting those that you did work with, that you brought into your business to represent your brand? So I... I had known many of these photographers for years already, and some of them either we had photographed together before, um, you know, I I had second shot for them or they had second shot for me um, on, um, you know, much more relaxed basis, never a, I'm having a medical emergency and I need you to be there. But really it was very important for me to ensure that, um, you know, these weren't just assistants that I was bringing along for the day. Um, that were capable of taking a picture. Um, to me, it was really important that 
because of the urgency of my situation, knowing that if I had to call an ambulance, that they would be able to step in instantly and photograph that wedding exactly the way I would have. And I feel so lucky that I had already developed these wonderful relationships and these, you know, you know, both professional and personal relationships with these photographers that I trusted them, you know, implicitly to be able to do this for me. And they were so kind and accommodating and to be able to make themselves available at short notice. Um, and ultimately, you know, I did end up photographing these weddings really still mostly on my own and they were there, you know, in the wings, carrying the bags if I needed them to step in. But they were essentially able to be paid, you know, as an assistant for a day where, you know, they they just essentially needed to carry my bag and make sure I drank some water um, and be able to step in if they were needed. But ultimately, um, luckily, we never really had to reach that point. I want to get back to the the outsourcing just very briefly here before we finish up. Something that I like to ask those that have come on the show when it comes to this process of delegation of outsourcing uh, is how they handle the communication piece. Because what I've realized as the owner of an editing company um, is that communication at the end of the day is where success is in delegation. Um, and I've learned this not only because we're working, you know, we've had the opportunity to work with thousands of photographers, but ultimately as well, because I get to oversee a team and on an ongoing basis, I'm learning about the significance of communication and how to do so more effectively. When it comes to to delegation for you, whether it's editing or admin work or otherwise, what have you found has been super helpful when it comes to communicating what it is that you want in a way that the person on the other side of the conversation can understand so that they can then do that work for you in a way that makes you happy? So I, I, maybe it goes without saying, but as a photographer, I feel like I'm much more of a visual communicator than a spoken or written communicator. I also enjoy those as well. But for example, when I was reaching out to your team to have some editing work done, you know, rather than try to explain my style as, oh, shallow depth of field and your warm highlights and, you know, neutral skin tones, I really felt that one of the things that I relied most heavily on was um, the opportunity to provide examples of the work to the team and be able to just show them, this is how my photos look. Um, Because, you know, when you say warm highlights to one person, it means something entirely different to another. And honestly, that's exactly how I work too with my clients, the couples and the families that I work with is really through just sharing imagery with them and asking them, you know, for what they're looking for and then providing them images, you know, from past shoots or past examples of galleries that I think reflect that. And then that way, if there, um, there is some kind of miscommunication and they're saying, oh, well, we want candid, but what they really mean is they want, you know, editorial candid, that's much more, you know, flawlessly produced, then we're able to kind of adjust those expectations and make sure that we're on the same page so that they have an idea of, you know, both what I deliver and um, I know what they're looking for. Uh, And the same goes for, you know, when I work with another photographer, again, in the past, having, you know, lived and worked in the same area for 10 years, I worked within a community where we all kind of knew each other's styles. So this was less of a, you know, getting to know you conversation. It was more of, oh, I'm going to work with Martha today. I know she likes to, you know, do a lot more candid work. And then 
likes to, you know, embrace a little bit more of the, you know, creative flow of timeline. So uh, that was really helpful when I had that community. Um, but now I think, you know, going forward in a new community, I'll probably rely again on, you know, oh, this, this is how I shoot. These are the images, types of images that I make. You mentioned the visual examples of your editing style, and that is something for anybody listening in who's not familiar with the photographer's edit workflow. When or before you go to place an order, we encourage you to create a profile of an editing style that in, that includes an editing style or potentially multiple editing styles. And the first thing on that editing style page is a section where you can upload examples of your work both those straight out of the camera and then those same images processed the way that you would process them, white balance and contrast levels and preset and whatever else it might be. And, and you're right, Martha, the, the visual at the end of the day can communicate so much more than words. I, I, I'm very much a literal communicator, but I realize even for myself that when I say something, or I think I'm saying something literally, what that is actually translating to for the person on the other side of the conversation may not be exactly the same thing because they're not using the literal definition of that word internally. They're processing it a different way. And on goes the, you know, the, the reality of communication and the human world. But um, having those visual examples makes a huge difference. But I think this is a, a great reminder on a larger scale as well when it comes to this notion of communication, uh, sp- particularly for the case of delegation or in the case of delegation which is that when we say something to somebody, it's a good idea to include with that communication verbally or via text or otherwise uh, an example of what we're describing because the way that they see it may be different than the way that they process those words that we're communicating to them. It really can make a big difference. And this is a, I mean, you probably found this, Martha, but this is a process, right? This communication process when it comes to delegation, or it's not necessarily understood the first go around. There may be some follow-up communication, some refinement, but the on the other side of that communication process, then of course, is the reward of somebody else being able to do that work for you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I I find that, you know, it's always a little bit of a back and forth, but in the end, it's always worth it to take that extra step and make sure that everyone's on the same page and that you've actually communicated what you think you're communicating. Absolutely. Yeah. Haley, who produces our show, she's listening in right now. And um, I mean, I've been very transparent with her. Uh, I think even on, on the podcast, I've mentioned it a couple of times, certainly off air as well about my need to continue to learn to communicate more effectively, even with her and certainly with the rest of our team. It, it's it's a bit ironic, or actually extremely ironic, that I own an outsourcing or delegation company, Photographer's Edit, and yet at the same time, I'm still, I have this learning curve of ultimately learning how to communicate more effectively so that my team um, can understand what it is that I'm saying in a way that they can then easily implement what it is that I'm saying. Uh, I'm I'm committing Haley, who's listening in, who's going to be editing this show to continue to work at that. So um, on that note, I just want to finish up really quick, Martha, um, with maybe an opportunity for you to share if, if there are any things, I know you mentioned one or two of these things earlier, but if if you had the opportunity to get pregnant again, or potentially had to deal with a miscarriage again, as you said, is there anything else in addition to what you've already mentioned that you would do differently? Some Some kind of last minute suggestions for our listeners? So I think, um, you know, 
I I feel like that what I was able to cobble together when I was pregnant actually worked fairly well. Having an assistant with me during the day was wonderful. Being able to outsource image work when I was um, you know physically unable to be in the in front of the computer for that long. You know, if I were to miscarry again, I would absolutely, without a doubt, hire a VA. And I think that having a VA or a virtual assistant um, would be an incredibly helpful thing to have hmm. during such a difficult time because I know, you know, e- in our industry, especially, even a delay of, you know, 24 hours can make a difference between booking a, a wedding and not booking a wedding. Um, and when you're experiencing a loss, you know, the last thing that you want to be thinking about is, did I respond to that client email? Mm, yeah. And being able to entrust that to somebody else who might be able to step in so that there isn't, you know, any sort of delay or change in, you know, response time and customer service, especially, you know, if a client is waiting on a gallery or if there's anything um, coming up where, you know, we're pre-shoot and, you know, pre-wedding and somebody, you know, somebody has a question about the timeline, like, oh, what time should the flowers be there? Like, I don't have to be the one that answers that. I could have, you know, somebody do that for me. And I think, you know, I was probably a little wary about the, you know, the investment at first, but if you think long-term about the health of your company um, and, you know, your photography business, uh, making that kind of small investment upfront, even if it ends up being for like the entirety of a pregnancy or, you know, for a year, if you're, you know, processing a loss or, or longer, you know, being able to ensure that you are protecting your business and ensuring that you still have bookings coming in, that you're still able to provide your current clients with the experience that they um, expect and deserve, that will pay off tenfold in the long term. And, you know, something I wish I had done differently before. The other thing I did want to come back to was I realized that I didn't answer fully your question before about how to navigate telling or not telling your clients or your photography community if you do experience a miscarriage. Um, And I think that is also something that I would probably handle the same way that I did at the time, because it's something I was very thoughtful and very intentional about. And as difficult as the experience was for me in the moment, as we were navigating our miscarriages and navigating, you know, the early parts of our ultimately, you know, successful third pregnancy, I decided that I would not communicate the loss to my clients or Mm. their wedding party or anybody associated with the wedding before the wedding day itself and before I had left the wedding for the day. And so what I did choose to do instead was to, you know, and again, I, I perhaps over communicate with my clients. Um, We do a lot of emailing and phone calls and sharing, you know, shot ideas and things like that beforehand as we go over the timeline. So we have a, you know, really well-established relationship before the wedding day. I'm never just walking in, you know, off the street and they don't know who I am or what my personality is or what's kind of going on with me. Um, So when I do email them after the wedding day and I sent them, you know, some sneak photos and I would, you know, this, when I was experiencing our, our losses, um, you know, I would make sure that, you know, the sneaks that I was sending were kind of expanded sneaks. So more of like, you know, a hundred, 150 photos for them. So they have, you know, essentially a small album that they could enjoy in that moment. And 
I followed up and I said, you know, I, it was so wonderful to be working with you. I'm so glad to have had this experience. I wanted to send along some photos and also let you know that I'll be taking, you know, two weeks away from the business or, you know, however long it was at the time, you know, I've had a loss in the family or I'm experiencing miscarriage, you know, whatever is comfortable for you to share with your clients. Um, I think I did, you know, ultimately tell them that, you know, I was experiencing a miscarriage and needed to take some time for myself. And, you know, so that way there isn't this kind of awkward elephant in the room. And that was kind of important to me. I didn't want clients thinking I had a just stopped, you know, doing my business duties while I was, you know, away from the computer. I didn't want them to wonder, oh, well, where are the photos? And I also didn't want to feel that pressure on myself because it was a completely um, unprecedented event in my life. And I apply, you know, equally to a, a lot of different kinds of losses where, you know, if you have a parent die or a sibling or you're going through a divorce or, you know, any sort of, you know, big life event, you know, choosing how to and whether or not to communicate that to your clients and the other people in your life is, you know, a hugely personal undertaking, you know, and different for every single person in every single life event like this that you might have to navigate as a business person. Um, So I really, it was important to me to kind of be candid and open with my clients, especially given the work that I had done earlier with this project, you know, because again, normalizing this as part of conversation, And daily life is something that I think is really important and really helps people that, you know, who knows, like I've actually had clients of mine who've reached out to me after seeing some of the work that I've shared online or reading about my losses um, and tell me, you know, that they've been going through IVF for three years and still aren't pregnant or just had a miscarriage and they don't know what to do. And, or they have a friend who miscarried and they don't know how to help them. And so I've seen even just like through my very, very, you know, my minimal efforts and sharing my story, how much community that has already begun to create and how much it's helped even just a handful of people. Um, And to me, that's worth it. If, you know, one other woman feels a little less alone or has to, you know, photograph a wedding and is going through the same thing, I would want her to know that, you know, there are other people that have, you know, survived this and they will too. Well, you've been again, super gracious and and being willing to make time for all of us and sharing your experience and your perspective and certainly your recommendations. Uh, I I really appreciate you doing that for us, for the Book of Podcast community at large. And I'm wondering if you, as as we finish up here, you can just remind our listeners where they can find you online, also where they can learn more about this project and and ultimately the, the book that you produced as well. Oh, absolutely. Um, I am on Instagram, mostly a little bit more than Facebook. And the Instagram is just my name, Martha Swan Quinn, two ends on Swan, two ends on Quinn. The website is uh, Martha Swan, two ends, dot com. Um, and that's where you can read a little bit more about the project. Um, I've also included, uh, you know, all of the narratives from each woman um, that we compiled after all of the interviews that we did. And I'm on Facebook too, um, but a little less often than on Instagram. Well, and we'll link to all of this in the show notes at bocapodcast.com. Uh, for those of you listening in, make sure that you, you do check out Martha's Instagram as well. I mean, there's beautiful examples of her work there. And if you keep scrolling, Martha, you've got one of the most interesting and varying Instagram accounts uh, over time that that I've seen <laughs> maybe to date. I mean, it, it's it beautifully compiled, um, but the variety is lovely as well. So anybody who's curious and wants to look at an Instagram account that 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 isn't just kind of cookie cutter, 
uh, this is definitely one to check out as well. But again, thank you so much for, for your time today, Martha, for sharing with all of us. Thank you so much, Nathan. It was wonderful to have the chance to chat with you. Thanks so much, photographers, for listening to the Boca podcast. Will you let us know what you thought of the show by leaving a review of the podcast in the Apple podcast app? And I'd love to hear from you personally with your thoughts about the podcast and suggestions about future topics and guests for the show. My email is Nathan at BocaPodcast.com. Make sure to visit our sponsors, PhotographersEdit.com, custom photo editing for the professional photographer, and Milu.com, that's M-I-I-L-U.com, the simplest way to create and manage timelines and shot lists for the events you're photographing.